We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. How are you? Look, I've had to think about this because I feel like I'm really in the trenches when it comes to sleep this week. And I know it's helpful to share and I know that all struggles are relative, but I also just don't think that this is probably the most respectful or fair episode to be chatting about my woes to do with sleep and a baby, considering we are talking about termination due to medical reasons and infant Mm. loss and grief and those kind of things. So I am more than happy to share what I've been going through, but I might just save it for maybe next week. Fair enough. But yes, we've ditched the dummy. It's been rough. If you're struggling with sleep, you're not alone, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, how are you? (laughs) I think I will share a combined high for the both of us. Our first ever live event is sold out and we are so excited to meet people in real life. And whether you are coming alone or you're coming with your girlfriends, we will all be leaving with some new mates. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. At the start of July, we are having a live mama meetup, mama's night out at Betty's Burgers on the Gold Coast. Rest assured, we will be doing it in other locations too. So if you're from other cities, we, of course, we want to meet you too. Let us know where you're from. Sydney and Melbourne seem to be the front runners in requests for us to come there next. So maybe if you're from somewhere else, just let us know. You never know. But we just want to say thank you so much for your support whenever you put things like this out there it's kind of scary like obviously we Mm. see the amount of people that listen to our episodes but most of the time it's Jade and I just talking shit on our own so sometimes (laughs) you go is anyone actually listening does anyone actually care but it turns out there's proof within the polls we have been looking on the Facebook groups the polls are showing that Melbourne and Sydney are red hot So Mm. if you are from another area, let us know because the more people speak up, the more we'll be able to to do something about it. What did we decide we were going to call ourselves and our beautiful listeners? Bumpers. There's plenty of bumpers in Melbourne and Sydney. (laughs) So if you're a bumper from anywhere else, please let us know. Yeah, so tell us other than that, do you have any highs or lows of the week? Well, personally, Mia has turned 10 going on for what it seems like a week now. (laughs) Um, It's finally come to an end and I'm spending today self-regulating so I can set myself up for the week ahead. I don't actually often catch myself before burning out, but lately I'm checking in with myself more often than not. And as it turns out, it's actually really nice 
to care for yourself. Who would have thought that? Absolutely. Now, is the high that Mia turned 10 or is the high that her birthday week is over? (laughs) Honestly, it's a bit bittersweet. This girl starts planning her birthday the minute her birthday has ended. So we've got another 365 days left to go until she turns 11. But it was all great. She had an absolute ball. We are now just, you know going to chill until whose birthday is next. It'll actually be mine and I don't really care for my birthday. So So we're good. We're pretty good until next year. I wonder if that's a first child thing because I've actually had some messages from some friends of mine showing videos of invitations that their daughters have come home from daycare with and Poppy has handwritten them and their invitations to her sixth birthday party. which is next February. So (laughs) I think she's like Mia that she's just, she's always ready for her own party. Always, always. Any lows of the week? No, I don't. Look, there are some lows, but I don't think that we need to get into them. Should we just skip past the lows this week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Now I actually have a mum hack for everyone and I feel like it's a bit of a reframe. This one was sent in. I know a lot of people I speak to, they find that chat GPT Mm. quite confronting, quite confusing, a bit daunting, like what else is AI going to take over? But this one, apparently, I have not done this yet, but I'm keen to give it a go. We can use to our advantage. So she sounds like a very efficient mother Mm. indeed. And she is using chat GPT to take away some of the mental load and the endless chores of motherhood. So she will go on to chat GPT and she will say, write me a cleaning list for the week one room per day and it'll spit it out for her or write me a meal plan for this week for myself, my husband, our three-year-old and a eight-month-old baby on solids and it will spit out a meal plan. And then she goes, write me a shopping list based off this meal plan. And then she goes, find me a recipe for everything on this meal plan. And I was like, can we do this? So I've been trying to tell you this because I recently downloaded yeah, I this app. to you, remember? I just talk over the top of you, remember? We are very <laughs> clear that you did not listen to me, but I have actually <gasps> mentioned it to you for a few, to- a few times that I downloaded this app and I've been doing this myself. It actually could be me and you've just been listening to someone else and now it's <laughs> gone through all these traps and now I'm saying to you, hey, this is what I do. But anyway, I have done a shopping list. The cleaning thing's brilliant. Now, what you can do with this AI is if you don't like what it spits out, like you can say, I've only got 35 minutes this day to do that. If you don't like the way that she's constructed it, you can double click, copy what you just wrote, paste it again, and she will give you a different option. So there are so many alternatives and so many different ideas. It's actually brilliant. I know everyone's shit scared, but I feel very overwhelmed on a day-to-day basis. And for me, it gives me clarity knowing that someone else is using their brain so I don't have to use mine. (laughs) No, the thing is no one's using their brain. It's brilliant. They're like using data or something. I don't even really understand it, but no one's using their brain anymore. (laughs) No, I use it in other things, but that I don't really need to use my brain to create a cleaning routine. So she can, she can do that for me for sure. Well, I'm sorry. 
sorry that you had to go and create another Instagram account under a different name. <laughs> Message it to me so that I would listen to you. I, I promise I'll try and listen to you again in the future. Don't think you're that lucky. Now, I have another mum hack and I went to Movie World recently. So if you do live on the Gold Coast, one of the hacks is you buy your child a, a yearly pass. So every time they do want to go for their birthday or another child's birthday, you don't have to pay for that pass. So it ends up being free. Pack the lunches because most of the food there's gross anyway. So that's free. Expensive inexpensive and then also on top of that we were standing around and watching Yumi she was obsessed with Batman she couldn't believe the car I'm like you haven't even watched a Batman but here you are with a cape and you're here just waving (laughs) at Batman anyway she really wanted a photo and this lady comes up to me with the big $65 sign for a photo with Batman she pops her head out of the sign and she goes look if you just wait till two o'clock and go down the bat lane, you can actually get a free photo with him and meet him for free. And I'm $65. People were Batman's doing it. Batman's really taken on inflation a little too seriously. Yeah, but not Batman and Robin. It's Batman robbing. It was literally just <laughs> on. You like that mum joke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good mum joke. That's not but the first time you've said that one. I know you said no, that yesterday. No, it was. Really? That was brilliant. Well My note, I actually said yesterday, Yumi was wearing a cape and I said, not all heroes wear capes. Some turn them into dresses instead because she had it on backwards and we had to crop it at the back because she ended up getting too wet. Anyway, long story short, back to that hack. Someone also wrote in saying that they bought all their Batman merchandise from Kmart (laughs) and took it there because the kids didn't know where it was coming from anyway. So all in all, very good. Excellent. Or go like me, mum hack, don't take your kids to movie world. Yeah, or just don't go to movie world. Just (laughs) But in all seriousness, we are going to get into today's episode. Today's episode's a bit more of a serious one, but I feel like anyone can gain something from this chat. This is with the beautiful Isabel and she chats about her journey going through termination for medical reasons. Obviously, this is a very personal story. This is in no way medical advice for anyone else going through it, or if you've been through it and had a different experience, that's absolutely fine. This is just Isabel's tale, but obviously a trigger warning for anyone who has gone through infant loss, stillbirth, miscarriage, you may find this episode difficult to listen to. Yeah, this episode left me with a heavy heart, but a great understanding into what a mother feels and goes through in this illusion of choice. We cried, we listened, and we really appreciate Isabel for coming on and sharing such a vulnerable journey on grief and loss. Hello, Isabel. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, it's nice to be with you guys. Um, Isabel, I am currently, I work in marketing and creative, but I was previously a water polo player. So I went to the 2016 Olympics. Wow. How was that? (laughs) It was really good. It was crazy. It was good to get in before like COVID because I think that's kind of change the village a little bit but you know it was amazing well congratulations what an opportunity that's amazing now we aren't here actually today to talk about your olympic experience even though we're mighty impressed so jade just calm down (laughs) would you you're fangirling so i actually was coming to talk to you guys about my journey 
with fertility and termination for medical reasons. So it's probably a bit of a uncomfortable topic for a lot of people and some people will find it really private, some people won't agree with it, some people have religious issues with it, whatever it may be, but I'm more than happy to tell you my story and if someone else is in a different boat, they may not want to share something like this. Yeah, thank you so much for reaching out to us about this. It was this odd coincidence that actually in the same week we had quite a number of women message us saying, this is something I'm going through or this is something a friend of mine has gone through and I'm finding it incredibly difficult to find information around it, stories around it, anything that I can relate to. And in the same week you just happened to message us and say, this is something I've been through. I found that when I went through it there wasn't much information. Would you like to have me on to tell my Mm. story. So we thank you so much because we know it's personal. We know sometimes it can be somewhat controversial. Yeah. So thank you so much for giving us the honor of being able to hold space for you to tell your story. Well, thank you for having me. I think for me, one of the greatest gifts, my son, so that was how the boy, Ollie, um, can do for the world is bring awareness and hopefully make some women and, and men parents, families, anyone feel just a little bit less alone. And so take us back to the start. How, what, what was your conception journey like? Was Ollie planned? How did we get to, you know, being pregnant with Ollie? I think like similar to most people, we started trying. So my husband and I had been married. Well, actually we started trying before we were married, but we were trying for maybe four months and I have been open and aware of fertility issues, family, friends, those types of things. And so kind of after about four months, I was like, let's just go and get some tests. Like, I don't know about this. And going back to water polo, I thought, oh, well, I've put my body through the ringer. It's possible that like, I might need some help with this. I don't really know. So we went and started doing some tests and it did turn out that actually we did need fertility help, but because my husband had quite low sperm count. So we ended up going to see a fertility clinic they put us on like a waiting kind of thing where he was doing a regime for himself. And so we just kind of waited, like, I think it was like waited another four months or something. And then with the regime that she put him on, his sperm count improved astronomically. So instead of having to do ICSI, which is, I don't know if people know what that is, but it's like a part of IVF, but then they add a bit more work in the lab end of things where they take individual sperm and put it with an egg. It's if the sperm isn't great, they can just pick the individual best ones and then make the embryos that way. And so we were going to go down that route and then it turned out that we could do IUI. So we tried once and I had a chemical pregnancy and then we tried the second time and I fell pregnant with Ollie, which was amazing. So I think all in all it's about maybe 10 months from when we first started to falling pregnant with Ollie. And so explain to people if they don't know what a chemical pregnancy, what that is. Oh, um, well, I didn't actually know what that was either. (laughs) It's from my understanding, it's when you have a very early miscarriage and like anywhere in like that four, four to five week period. But it comes up positive on a pregnancy test, but Mm. then, yeah, but then it doesn't. It comes up positive and then it doesn't just quite stick. So as women do, you see one little, like two lines on a positive pregnancy test and you're immediately like sailing forward with your forward planning. But um, 
obviously because we're doing fertility, we're going through blood tests and whatever. And so they had seen the blood test and I had already peed on a stick when they definitely tell you not to do that. (laughs) And they had actually called me and said, it has worked, but it hasn't worked. And you're going to like in the next week find that it's like your levels just aren't high enough anymore. And how did you feel hearing that after going through this? Yeah, that was a killer, but I kind of didn't think that it would work the first time anyway. So like I was disappointed, but I was like, okay, well, they also said to me that if you can get that far, then the chances are that like it will work. So Mm. it's not a negative in a way. Like obviously it is disappointing. And what were some of the things that your husband did to improve his sperm health? Because I feel like there's so much talk about women's fertility, but Mm. very rarely do we talk about men and their sperm health. Well, he's incredibly healthy. So if you weren't healthy, there was obvious things that they were saying to cut out energy drinks, soft drinks, Cut down your alcohol. Obviously, you don't take drugs. If you'd ever done steroids, that was going to be a problem. He had not. But then she put him on a concoction of vitamins that she calls jungle juice, which sounds really dodgy, but it was just like, <laughs> literally, I swear he'd have a handful of vitamins like every day at certain times. And it worked, which was amazing. But also, I don't know if anyone knows this either sperm health and sperm regenerates after three months completely. And so, it could have been that and redoing in that three months and taking all these extra vitamins that within that three months, it just like completely rejuvenated. And the dodgy test that we had had from the three months prior was just like a bad batch. Yeah. Mm. Turns out it wasn't, but like that's a, that's another story. Anyway, so there are medicines and things that you men can do, but he just did it like the natural way because she was like, well, try all these vitamins first. You guys are young enough that you've got some time up your sleeves. And I was like, we've got no time. I want to be pregnant tomorrow. Yeah, yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we were just incredibly lucky in that sense. Like I know it's not a lucky journey to have to do fertility, but lucky that it only took two guys. And then the pregnancy itself was really straightforward. We, I didn't tell anyone for ages because, again, I had been exposed to like fertility things and IVF and whatever. So I was like, oh, we'll keep it under wraps until like 15-ish weeks and then you know, told family and friends and whatnot. Everything was fine. Did the 13-week scan. Beautiful, big, gigantic Wumper boy. I'm 5'11". My husband's six foot five. It, he was huge. From the minute, he was just measuring massively. We were like, this is great. It's all going really well. And then we went to our... Actually, what happened was I was supposed to have my 20-week scan right before Christmas and I got gastro. And so I had gastro at 20 weeks pregnant, which was a bit of a disaster. And then mm. I ended up getting COVID over Christmas as well. Mm. So I missed all those scans and then got the scan when I was like 22 weeks, I think, ish. And so got back to Sydney because I was in Adelaide for Christmas and did the scan. And we went to the first place and we just thought like we had all the tests and they were all looking really good. Everything was measuring fine. And then she was like, oh, I just can't get his head. He's like right in your hip. And I could feel that he was like right in my hip. She was like, can you do some star jumps? Like do some squats? Like what can you do to move him? And so like Tom was grabbing my legs and like trying to bicycle them, <laughs> bring them around, like just absolute madness. Um, and she was like, oh, like I can see it, but I can't get the photo. So do you mind going to another clinic and there's a doctor there so that he can just live check it? 
rather than trying to get the photo. And so I was like, okay. But no real, you didn't feel concerned at this no, stage? I'll no, I'll tell you how not concerned I felt. I sent Tom away and I went to the next place oh. by myself. Not a good idea. So then I went to this clinic, then like same place but different clinic and they kind of like pushed me through quite quickly and I was like, oh, it's probably just because it was like a quick little check and you're out of here. Mm. And then you see it and you see the eyes of them and they just like the nurse and the doctor just straight away were like, do you want to have a chat in my office? And I was like, no, I don't. What's wrong? Like, it's not good, is it? And he was like, it's it's not good. So Ollie was diagnosed with agenesis of the corpus callosum, which is like kind of like a little square patch in between the two hemispheres of your brain that connect both sides so that it controls a lot of like hand-eye coordination what controls a lot because you want your, t- your brain to sink. And then after further showing me some scans of like a, a regular healthy baby at 22 weeks versus what his brain looked like, you could even I could mm. see that it was just missing. And so you can imagine I am distraught, like hysterical, trying to call Tom, telling him to try and get to me and like get back to the city. And he's listening to me but not really like believing it and then yeah comes in and has a chat with the doctor and straight away then in there before he even got there they're like we should do an amniocentesis so straight I like so many people given are so stressed about doing an amniocentesis but like after the news that I just received he was like well so we should do one of these and I was like just do it and I was like do you mm. want to wait for your husband and I was like nah Nah, like just get it done. Like if we wait, I think I won't even be able to like keep still. How did that, like what does that look like having that done? An amniocentesis is like a giant needle that they stick into your belly under guided ultrasound to take amniotic fluid and test it. I think they test it for like genetic things and whatever. And so were they wanting to look if maybe there was a chromosomal or genetic issue that had led to this? Yeah, brain issue sometimes you can have this and it can be a precursor to something else being wrong that you can't see Mm -hmm. and so they were just like well now we need to do a full check of everything going wrong because the difficulty with ACC so agenesis of the corpus callosum I feel like I'm an expert in this field now and I actually don't know much but well you're somewhat of an expert (laughs) yeah yeah you can live people because they haven't been able to do this testing before now someone could be walking down the street and missing their corpus callosum and not know. They might have no health conditions. They might have some disability of some sort, physical or mental, mild. The extreme is that you can be in bed. You can't lift your head, your hands. You can't feed yourself. It's no quality of life. And so the really hard part is knowing that the extremes exist. Yeah. And so then you spend all this time going, well, what if he's fine though? What if he's just going to be like this person? But you would never know and you can't do anything if they're born and then they have this horrific life ahead of them. That makes it even harder. I mean, it's yeah. all hard, but yeah. that is. So what do they say to you? You you choose, like what what happens after that? So then we went and ha- so it's like the longest two weeks of your life. Then we went and had an MRI to check his ventricles and from the scan to when I had an MRI like one week later his ventricles in his brain had also really enlarged which 
was a further indication that it wasn't going to be a good diagnosis. Yeah. Which is kind of good in a way that, you know, you feel more confident in your decision. Mm. But within two weeks, I could go from one minute being like, this is ridiculous. We're not doing this to I could never do this to a child. I have to carry the pain for them so that they don't. So you're just constantly swinging. And by a miracle, one of my best friends had gone to the same OB and had to have a few DNCs, which is an earlier termination. So at 12, 13 weeks or earlier, I'm not even sure what the cutoff date is, but, and she had recommended her OB and said, you know, she was amazing. And she's got, my friend's got a beautiful, healthy baby now. So I just was like, all right, you love her. I'm just going to go to her. And I couldn't be more thankful that I went to her because if I had known this prior, I would have checked to see what people's procedures were. And if you're booked, even if you're through public and you're booked into a certain hospital, and I think all public hospitals would have to do this anyway, some private hospitals don't actually perform medical terminations. Yeah, if they're Catholic, is that right? Yeah, so one of the girls I met through this whole process had to change hospitals last minute because her hospital wouldn't do it. Which is another massive blow when you're going through that. Yeah, myriad of problems that like she didn't really have a choice. Like no one has a choice. This is an illusion of a choice. Mm. Mm. Anyway, so my OB straight away is connected in Sydney to Deb DeWild, who is a social worker and a midwife and immediately doing a house call and coming to see us and slowing the whole process down and trying to help us work out what decision we're going to make when all the medical professionals are basically telling you what decision to make. It's inevitably, it's your choice. You could proceed, but you're being strongly recommended that it's going to be a very difficult road. And obviously neither road's easy. But, yeah, so Deb came over. She slowed it down. And I was pretty resolute in that I just couldn't do it. In terms of having the baby, continuing yeah, just, with the pregnancy. I just, yeah. I just couldn't fathom them having to go through such a painful life if it was going to be like that. It's just just not something that, you know, and one of the doctors even said to me, not one of my doctors, but someone that I had consulted with said to me, you know, you're an athlete, like what if they can't play sport? And I was like, I don't care if they can play sport. Mm. That's the least of my worries. I just want them to be happy and healthy. You know, so it's funny what people try and say to you to like get you to rationalize the situation. So Deb came, she slows it down and you just wouldn't know what to do if you didn't have someone help you or guide you in this process because it's like, why would you know? In the early months after this, I used to feel so much difficulty and sort of resentment towards people that had these easy, beautiful pregnancies that you know, didn't have to try and they just fell pregnant and then it just worked out. But as time's gone on, I've realized I'm actually feel so much joy for them. Like I feel so much joy that you don't have to experience this. Yeah. So you you keep mentioning that Deb slowed things down. In what ways did she slow things down? So for me, one of the things I just kept saying was if I can't continue the pregnancy, then I don't want to be pregnant anymore. Yeah. Like that was my rationale. I was like, well, then let's do it. Let's make a decision. And she was like, you need to slow down. And I think the benefit of that was we didn't know that we were having a boy. We wanted a surprise. So we ended up finding out his gender 
I think from the time we found out to when I went into labor and delivering him, which I'll get to, was about two weeks. So in that two weeks, we then started like reading him stories and, um, you know, you'd tell him about the life that you wish that he had. I think she helps guide you with those suggestions, which, again, you might make a rash quick, let's fix the problem. But you can never go back. You can't get the time back. And so doing that and giving him a name and kind of have to get all your parenting in that you can, she then slows down the labour process too. So it went like this. So Monday I went to my OB and took medication to stop my pregnancy hormones. Tuesday I had to go to a procedure and stop his heart, which is with a giant needle under ultrasound and they inject into your belly and stop his heart because he was too far along that there was a good chance and because he was so big that he would have been born alive and struggled. Far out. So that one for me was possibly the worst. Yeah. That procedure because obviously beforehand you're feeling kicks and he's still there. Um, And then after that procedure, you feel very different. You feel very, very different. And he weirdly kind of sunk in my belly. So you just physically could really feel different from that procedure. And then uh, Wednesday I went in for labour. But, again, because of my work with Deb and my OB, their system with our hospital was that I had a back entrance so I didn't have to go through the front Mm. of birth and delivery. I had a room that was away from all the other women so I didn't have to hear crying happy people or, you know, all of those types of things. And so if you're lucky, like that's the beautiful benefit of having a private place. However, some women would say that they want to keep the two memories separate and have it at a hospital that they don't have to go back to. So, you know, it's it's whatever, whatever you end up doing. But I took the tablets to induce labour on the Wednesday morning. And for some reason, I had to labour for 26 hours. Oh, my gosh. Which was such a joy. And even though, you know, he's smaller being born, like the actual delivery part isn't that physically painful because he's he's smaller. The contractions and the labour part is all the same. It's just so nasty because you just don't get the, it's not, it, there's no like joy to get you through it. Totally. So how do you get through labour knowing that that's what the end result will be? Because (laughs) Well, you don't have a choice once it starts. Yeah. And the midwives that I had were just phenomenal. Like I had one woman who had me during her day and then obviously they changed for night shifts and she came back to me. And then I've met a friend since who had the same midwife and ended up naming her next child after the midwife because of the the connection but you know just you just have to do it you just don't have a choice are you allowed to opt for an elected caesar or is this something that has to be done naturally or did you decide this is the way you wanted i wasn't offered an elective caesar but also because 
that I knew that I wanted to have children again in the short term in the recovery. I think from having an elective season, there was almost a year okay, or something like that. Whereas the recovery from doing a natural birth, I think it's like three months or something. I actually had a friend who had a, a stillborn child and she had had a cesarean before and they still recommended for her to have a vaginal because they just said, and obviously every person is different, but I was, mm. I think it was something about like, obviously she was never going to forget that baby, but they're like putting literally a scar across your tummy yeah. to remind you of that experience mm. and the recovery of it. They just recommended, obviously, because the bub was going to be smaller yeah. too, to yeah. go vaginally. But I, I honestly cannot fathom being in labor, you know, it's, it's actual knowing torture. that that's the, end result yeah well yes but then also I would agree with you but then I've also spoken to women through Deb because Deb has a grief group which you then can go to who say that that was the best day because they got to meet their baby yeah so like it's bittersweet I guess because you do get to meet them and I think that's when Deb comes in because you'd have no idea what to do after like, do I just leave? Do I just go home now? So when he when you deliver him, obviously they do, they do the same, but it's not quite so rushed. They're not rushing to check him or rushing to make sure that everything's fine. It's much slower. And in my mind, it felt like 10 years. And I had to check my husband. I was like, how long was that? Like, wh- why is no one doing anything? And then he was like, it was maybe three seconds. Mm. But it felt like forever. And so they just, they give him to me. And, like, there's no real rush. Like, you just hold him for as long as you want. And this is when it helps to have someone slow the process or tell you these things in advance as to what you might want to do. But we gave him a bath and we read him stories. We took heaps of photos of him, which, again, beforehand I thought I wouldn't want to do. Yeah. But. Then you think back and now I'm so glad that I I did it, even if it made me slightly uncomfortable at the time because I look at them all the time. I think I possibly stayed in hospital after I gave birth maybe three, four hours and then went home. But the benefit of Deb, again, is that they keep him at the hospital and you can go back and visit. So we went back three times. And then the next day... Deb had organised through a non-for-profit area, um, a photographer came in. And so we had a non-for-profit photographer come in and take photos of us with Ollie. And then the next day we went back and, again, Deb had helped us organise a baby. It's called a baby nest. Mm. It's like a baby coffin. So we sat with him again, read him stories, played him music. Um, and then we put him in his nest with like a bunch of um, photos and a letter and a toys and like a wrap and things that we had already bought for him that we just actually we put in a whole bunch of frangipanis because. I live in the inner west in Sydney and so there's frangipani trees everywhere. And the first day that we, when I first had him, 
Deb would bring in frangipanis. And so every day from there, she would bring frangipanis in for him. And when we'd go and see him, he'd be surrounded by frangipanis, which is so nice. And now every time I see frangipani, I think of Ollie. Were you worried that that could have the opposite effect though? I think the whole process, I was always worried that I wouldn't like it later on. Mm. I was always worried that it was not the right thing to be doing. Like I I was like, I don't think I should be taking photos. Mm. Like I don't think that I want to be able to see this, this flower all the time. I don't want, you know, and that's when you go home and you've got a full nursery set up. If you're organized and you're a crazy like first time mum and you just go to town and put everything out like 19 weeks. And so you've got to pack all that stuff down and you think, I don't want to see all of this stuff. Mm. But as time gets further on, I really like it. I really like it. And we've actually now bought a big memory box for Ollie and put in, you know, his scans and some of the things that we had bought him and a book that we read him a lot, things like that, that you don't get to parent, you don't get the love that you have like out, but at least you can kind of give it some sort of siphon. (laughs) So I think like, I just didn't realize how important it was to slow that two-week process down Mm. from the time that you find out to the time that you deliver and then say goodbye and put them in their baby nest or however someone decides to do that, whether you do a funeral or whatever. Did anyone else meet him? Yeah, so Tom's mum came and my mum flew up from Adelaide and they both held him and met him and we have some photos with that, which is nice. I guess with the frangipani thing, it's like how people, you know, when anyone dies, says, I want people around me to bring them up so that we can talk about them. And as another person in their life, sometimes you think, oh, I won't bring it up because maybe, you know, I don't want to remind them. And it's probably one of those things that you're like, every day I think of him, whether I see a frangipani or not. (laughs) So I may as well see him in something beautiful. Mm. Because it's not like you were going to have forgotten about him otherwise. No, and I think that one of the big things is that people don't know how to talk to you or don't know how to approach you and it's really uncomfortable, which I understand. Prior to this, I would feel nervous to talk to someone about that. But it's exactly what you said. Like you're never not thinking about your child. So the more that people say their name, the better you feel that your grief is validated Mm. in a way that they mattered. And I think that that's, you know, one thing that people can do, like ask you what's an important date to remember. Mm. Do you want me to remember their due date? Do you want me to remember their birthday? Like any other child to remember that they existed. What will you remember? His due date was the 12th of May, so just a few weeks ago, and we dropped frangipanis in the ocean for him yeah which was really nice and I thought it was going to be just the most difficult day ever but really the days leading up to it were way worse and the day itself was quite nice and we just spent some time you know Tom and I got lunch did the walk dropped the flowers in the ocean for him like it it was nice but I think going forward we will probably celebrate his birthday Mm. because that's the day that he we met him. Yeah, absolutely. The difficult part is 
you know how you get your mum friends that you're all going to have a baby around the same yeah. time as? my brother and brother-in-law and sister-in-law they've just had their beautiful little boy maybe two weeks ago and so we met him on the weekend but I couldn't see her until she had the baby mm. I couldn't see any pregnant people and so I hadn't seen her in probably six months which was hard but the people that can be gracious and understand that mm. it's not because you're not happy that they're in a in that situation it's just so incredibly painful to look at someone that would be your gestation and say I should be there and how is it now that that bub is born is it equally as hard or no it's not I don't know I'm I'm a sucker I see a baby and I just love (laughs) they're just so cute and I think I knew deep in my soul would be easier when he existed because how could I ever have any ill feelings towards a baby yeah like he's beautiful he's so cute and I, I, like you know there was a minute where I was holding him thinking oh I should have had a cousin for you that you would grow up next to but you know it's the the grace that my family and friends provided me was amazing but I think it really helps to set very tight boundaries around what you want and how did you do that and how did they respond So for me, I realized within about a week that I didn't want anyone to hug me or give me their sad eyes because I was sad enough. So I put in a blanket rule that no one was allowed to hug me, which I think was hard for people. But I just needed some level of like normalcy in a sense. Like you lose your whole identity because you already lose it kind of when you're pregnant because you chop and change what you're doing and you, you eat differently, you act differently whatever and then you you plan that you're going to have a baby so then when that ends you still have to do all the postpartum stuff like I had to go see a postpartum physio because I couldn't go to the gym my boobs were leaking for months I I was going to ask did you take something to stop the milk coming in I did (laughs) turns out I will have some good milk (laughs) hey there's one positive (laughs) yeah that's what my OB kept telling me she's like I'm sorry I can't do anything about it but like it's a good sign mm. just all of that stuff that you just did I didn't even think about when I was like oh, I have to not be pregnant anymore I didn't think I have to lose parts of my hair <laughs> like that it's just gonna fall out in droves in the shower you know I just I didn't even think about it and so then you're just having to you grieve your baby you're then grieving the life that you were supposed to have you're grieving the body because you're not doing anything with it when it so desperately wants to be feeding yeah. a child. And for me, like exercise and my identity is like quite a big thing and being out of work. And so I needed to find a way back to a little bit of myself. And so I had to get to a women's physio like ASAP so I could at least do something like in the gym or, you know, like, and I, I went back to work within two weeks, which is crazy. Most people take their full maternity leave. But I needed something, but my work was good in the sense that I could work from home and just take a break as I needed it. Yeah. And then um, I just, I would say that you just have to, I, I was never a good boundary person. I've been such a people pleaser. Like I always want to make people happy and I'll, I'll do whatever I can to make someone comfortable. I'll I'll drive 
an hour to see you. Don't let's not meet in the middle. And going and seeing Deb and going to this grief group with all these women that had been through a similar scenario and going and seeing a grief counsellor once a week at the start, you just have all these, albeit they were all women, just tell you that you have to put in boundaries and you have to say what's going to help you and not help you and you have to be selfish. And all of a sudden now I'm really good at putting in boundaries because I just can't survive if I don't. So I didn't see any pregnant people. I was really strict about being sad around me. I think that's one thing that people need to understand as a supporter is that the support network needs to go out. So if you put me and um, my husband and I in the middle, then you have a support network that's outwards. If anyone in those rings needs support, they need to go to their own network. Yeah, They can't push it back to me feeling like they're so sad for me or they're so sad that yeah. they've lost Ollie too because I can't compute. Like I, I, all I can do is survive. Your grief is enough. You can't take yes. on anyone else's. So if you, you and I need to stop crying in front of the screen. I know. <laughs> we'll, ta- we'll take our tears out. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's not, it's not even that kind of stuff. It's just like, you know, it's the really big feelings that oh, you yeah. can't you can't take on. You know what though? You feel selfish setting these boundaries, but having clear boundaries is actually easier for the people around you. Mm. I experienced, not to bring this back to me, but I experienced something similar that I was the exact same gestation as one of my best friends and she lost her bub at 20 weeks. And I had to say to her, you need to tell me if you want to see me or not see me. You need to tell me if you want to meet her when she's little. Like you just need to tell me when you're ready. Mm. And setting those boundaries, it, it it means that, you know, you're like the other person's not getting un- any more unnecessarily upset than they need to. Those boundaries can change whenever, you know, you can think that something's going to be fine and then it's not fine or you can think something's going to be a huge trigger and then it ends up being fine. But, you know, as much as boundaries feel selfish when you're doing them, it's it's for the better of everyone. Absolutely. And I think some of my friends even said to me, like, what's on the cards today? Instead of asking me ever how I was, because I kind of put that in as another, don't ask me how I am because I'm not good. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not good. I'm if I say that. I'm good, I'm lying. <laughs> yeah. 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 But also if someone says, how are you? You just say, I'm okay. Like, mm. That's all you say. So then they started going, saying like, what are you doing this weekend? Or are we going for a walk? Or am I bringing over takeaway? Like, changing the question so that at least I could answer it without having to go down a route that I didn't want to. Mm. And I think that's really helpful for people that don't know what to say to someone or don't know what to do. Just like if you just say, what do you want for dinner? Or I'm bringing you over food. Do you want chicken or fish? That's enough of a, a, I had decision fatigue Mm. because I just made the world's biggest decision ever. But if you just drop it back to that, it makes it like you're not avoiding us Mm. because I know it's so hard, but we don't want to be left alone to feel more isolated either. But I think with you, Sophie, and saying that to your friend, I, I can't imagine that she would have wanted anything else. To me, that would be the best thing that someone could do. And my friends messaged me and sending me a text was the best. Like, do you want to know when my baby's born? Do you want to be on the group text? That's so, I, I was so grateful to receive that message. 
rather than just not sending it to me because you think I don't want to yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course I want to know. Of course I'm happy for you. Will I need 10 minutes to digest it by myself before I outwardly go and be very excited? Yeah, but I'm so excited. Because grief can be so awkward. Sometimes we feel like avoiding it is the easiest thing, but it actually mm. makes it so much harder. For everyone. Yeah. For both sides. And everyone's kind of in shock. I think this, like you're, you're shocked that she's lost her baby. So what do you do? No, there's no rules. There's no guidelines. I think that it is incredibly hard for people to understand and process grief because we're not good at it. We don't have it every day. So whether you're the one grieving or the one that you're grieving for, it's incredibly hard to know what's right and what's wrong. And I don't think we're ever going to get it right. Like unless you study it or you Deb, I think that we can only just listen to people's stories and do the best we can. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I also think because we don't really talk about it that much, we don't really have the language for it. We don't have the language that makes you feel like you're not minimizing the situation, minimizing the person. Or So I think if you can just hold space, and even if you say nothing but just show up because you don't know what to say, you're just holding space for the grief without trying to be this cheerleader on the side of hope that no one needs your hopey cheerleader right now. <laughs> yeah. Like we don't need that right now. I'm just going to be in this tunnel. I will move through the tunnel. Mm. You just need to be the just light. Just not at the today. End. <laughs> yeah. And so I think if you like realize and you just accept that as a human, you don't have the words. You do not have the words to make this grief seem real or make this grief seem validated. And it's always going to feel like whatever you say is not right. But at least if you show up, that's right. Like, you can't do much more. Like I, I would never expect anyone to know what to say to me. I could tell you what not to say to me. Don't tell me it'll be fine. Don't tell me you'll have another baby. Don't tell me everything's for a reason. Like I've heard a lot mm. of random things, but mm. if you just show up and leave space for them to grieve and have a safe space so that they can start verbalizing their story, grappling it and understanding that the grief is now part of their life and they just need to accept the new life story and the new life journey, you can start to live with it and then you just carry it a little better every day. I know you've gone through a difficult journey, but like to be a voice for people who are scared of grief or going through similar situations like you, you are explaining beautifully like the right things and the wrong things to say to people, expressing your feelings in such a way that we are really resonating with you. And I, I just really commend you. Like I feel you're powerful and I don't think I could be as strong. And strong, when I say strong, I mean you being vulnerable, but you still being open. And I don't think that I would be able to do that in like where you're at right now. And you just seem very assured by everything. I've just done a lot of counseling. <laughs> I just think like, as I was saying before, like you just can't expect someone to know how to navigate. No. It's like, I would never say to my friend, oh, you don't need a counselor. You'll be fine. Like, how can you navigate this? You can't. Like, while everyone's grief stories might be a little similar, your life story isn't. So you need to work out and weave in your life story as to how you manage your grief story. 
Well said. Yeah. So like, and I think that's the, the interesting part is that in this process, I've met so many women that either can't talk about it because they don't feel supported in their circles, don't want to talk about it because they'd rather just pretend that it didn't exist. Or you might be like me where I think talking about it means that it happened and means that he existed and mattered and like he'll always be my first child. Yeah. I think that's to me the crux of it is that I don't want someone to end up like I was desperately trying to work out how you mute people on Instagram and change your algorithm because your phone listens to you and I now do not care what baby carrier I'm going to be yeah shoved down my face you know and it's like and that's fine you just need to know that you can do those things you can change your algorithms you can mute things you can move into a space where you just live in rigid little routine and do that for as long as you need to to survive until you can start adding piece by piece back in and what does grief in your day-to-day life now look like Tom and I started a little journal for Ollie. So we will randomly go in and write to him, about him, things that are happening, which I think is really helpful. Some people might not like that, but I think it's a really nice way to like keep him in the forefront without it being like overpowering. We have a photo of him in our room and like I'll talk about him if I think that the situation's right or that the person might be okay to hear it because obviously some people are not okay to hear it I haven't had anyone personally come up to me and say how could you have ever done this but I also appreciate that that might happen and and it might and people have different feelings about it but I know that I've made the right decision because I have to carry the grief and the hurt and the pain for him so that he never has to live with it and I think you just get like randomly sideswiped sometimes. Like I can pretty much get through my routine and day by day now, but like occasionally you get a sideswipe where someone will be like, oh, do you have any kids? Or are you thinking about children? Or when did you get married? Oh, shouldn't you be having a, like, what, what, hop on it, off you go. Things like that. Or you might see something so random. Like if you were a mum already and one of my friends who has lost her, second child notices this a lot that she watches her her living son play by himself and that will trigger her because she imagines that they would have played together that they they should be doing things together and so her grief is not just for her but also for her son not having his sibling so I think you just you get better at managing it but you just as time goes by you might just get like one side swipe whereas at the start you would be in a tsunami every day all day Hmm. and how do you grapple with those feelings around as you said it's one of the things with termination for medical reasons is this illusion of choice has that been a hard layer I think at the start it was impossible for me to get my head around because I kept swinging between the variabilities of what he could have had And I kept thinking, am I making the wrong choice? Like, this can't be right. And it was only when Deb had said to me, it's not a choice. Like, it's the illusion of a choice. Like, any human would not want their baby or their child to live that kind of life. And so if I, every time I 
think I made the wrong choice, my husband will come in and say, the diagnosis is not compatible with life. Yes, they may live, but it's not compatible with a life. And so Tom always reminds me of that. Like, what kind of life would it have been? And so I think you try to just keep reminding yourself that you're, you you carry it so they don't have to because what kind of life would they have actually had? I think that's the only way that I can kind of grapple with my feelings because you do, you hit guilt at your decision while you grieve and it's a very weird juxtaposition to live in because you've almost done it to yourself but no, you have but you haven't no. yeah but I I yeah I get what you mean but and, and what about around your identity because you know as you said the minute you pee on that stick or the minute the fertility clinic calls you and tells you you're pregnant as a woman we are like we are a mother and you are still a mother you're a mother yeah. to Ollie but how does that identity play into your life like now that you don't have a living child? Um, I think my day was pretty hard. But, again, I put, like I worked with the counsellor to work out how I was going to get through the day. So because my mum's not here, we saw Tom's mum the week before so that we didn't have to go to the Mother's Day thing. And then when Mother's Day came around, we went for a walk because I didn't want to go to any cafes where everyone's doing Mother's Day. Like I'm a mother of an angel baby. Like it's, it's the it's not the same, but it's it's just a different category to me. Like I I do struggle with the concept when someone says to me, "But you are a mum." Like I find that really hard because some days I feel like it, and other days I'm like, "But I'm not because I'm not doing any parenting." But you were you were pregnant, and you did feel a baby inside you, and like. I know you don't want sympathy, but I sit here and I hear this story and you have gone through tremendous hurdles and still like, yeah, what an incredible journey nonetheless. You, I unfortunately find that the people who have gone through the most are often the most compassionate people. And again, it's not because I, I wish that like, I, when I meet someone that's so compassionate, I think, holy shit, you've probably been some, through something really bad and I don't actually want to know what it is in a way because I don't think I could carry any more sad stories. But that's what I, I tend to find. Like people with outrageous compassion have probably hit some real life hurdles of some descript. But I also look at it as how grateful everyone else is for having people like that in this world. Because if it wasn't for people like yourself and other people, there's no understanding or, I don't know, like no no shoulder to lean on. Like as you said before all this, you'd be that, not saying that you're a people pleaser now, but like I'm sure that if a friend had an issue, you would be straight there. Yeah. And there are some people that are like that and then there's some that are just not and that's the blessing of everyone being different. Yeah, I think I think so. I think there's two parts to this now, like in my living in my life now. One is that I have almost a sign because I am open about it, saying, "Tell me about your sad losses," which I like. I want to be that for someone. I don't want anyone to be alone in this. But also, at some point, I also need to somehow compartmentalize so that I can carry on to the next step when it's the time's right and try and let a little bit of hope back in. Because I know that when it comes time to be pregnant again, I know that 
it will be incredibly anxiety ridden. But I don't want to not have any of the joy that I see people have. And yeah. I what spoke to someone who was pregnant after this, and this is what triggered it for me, was that she had had her second baby and was just anxious every minute of every day and didn't want to have a baby shower and didn't want to do any of the things to celebrate it because she was just so worried the whole time. And I think I don't know that I agree with the concept of a rainbow baby, but I don't know that I disagree with it either because I would never want someone not to have that hope from a rainbow baby per se and then be able to do the baby showers and all those things. But I also don't want another baby's existence to be overshadowed by the fact that the first child was lost. So I think it's a really interesting place to sit now trying to manage a little bit of room for hope and joy without doing justice to Ollie's life and making sure that he is remembered on his own entity and then any future children will be their own entity as well. And what do you feel like you're waiting for? How do you know when you think you'll be ready to start to try again? We need to do legit IVF next Mm. time. So we've done all the tests and and whatever. And so we'll actually be doing the process I was telling you about earlier, the ICSI Mm -hmm. with the sperm and everything. So I think it's just when you feel like, and I don't think that's far off, but like when you feel like you're not in the deep, deep pits Mm. and that you can start letting a little bit of the light back in, to me would be kind of like the right kind of timing for it. Because you're just trying to function when you're in the deep, dark tunnel. And I don't think that's a space that is good because you don't know if your next pregnancy is going to be really hard. You don't know if you're going to have HG. You don't know how it's going to go. And it's already going to be anxiety riddled. So I think you need to be in a healthy enough mental space to be able to let a little bit back in. To take on a bit more. You can't be kind of just getting by. You almost have to assume that there will be hurdles in the next pregnancy and you need to be at a stage that you could almost take them on. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And for me, because I'm just such a big advocate of it, I would be like, counsellor, 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 if you're going through this, please go see a counsellor because you just cannot expect yourself to be able to navigate this by yourself. And I think if you learn the tools to put the boundaries in for yourself, it helps all of your support systems know how to support you best. And what do you think you'll put in place to support yourself with the future pregnancy? Well, so when this was all happening, I would go back to my OB. When I was doing all my postpartum checkups, she was asking me how I would feel. And, you know, if I had really ill feelings towards the whole situation, she would be more than understanding if I wanted to go somewhere new. But I would never want to do that because I think I like being handled with a bit of kid gloves now when it comes to pregnancy and all those types of things. And for someone to understand why you might be more anxious than the next person, Mm. I think is really important. And she was explaining to me that if you continue to go to the same ultrasound places as well, your whole file's there. So when you go in, they also know that and they don't like say the wrong thing. Or when you, if you were to sit there and be in dead silence for your whole scan wherever that might be because I can imagine that my deathly scan will be the 20-week scan yeah but you could almost set up those parameters of being like don't tell me about anything until it's all done and you say yes or no don't make any faces I think Mm. 
having the medical support system in place will ease your anxiety because she was saying to me that she would, you know, you could do bi-weekly scans. Yeah. So that to me would be very helpful because I don't, I think my anxiety will be there regardless, but if you can have little pieces that just get you through, like you do a whole week and you go, okay, so I've just got to get through to the next week and I'll have something. And then you do a week and you kind of probably like teeter off the joy that you saw seeing a scan that'll get you through maybe one week. And then you've just got one week of anxiety to get to the yeah, next one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, but also they've got the, they don't have it anywhere else, which is so sad, but they've got the pregnancy after loss group in Sydney, which is also a massive support run by Deb. And that's the only pregnancy after loss support group in Australia, I'm pretty sure. And that's that also worries me that like this is not uncommon. It's not common, but it's not uncommon. And I don't think that there's enough support but loss in pregnancy is common. Yeah. Mm. In you mm. know, if you if you use it as an umbrella term, it's extremely well, common. Well, the women that I was going to, they weren't all medical terminations. Someone lost their child due to a medical issue at six weeks old, and she was at the same meeting as I was. I think it's important to if you if the group helps, go to the group until you move past that group and it doesn't help you any. So if being surrounded by sad people in the same place as you helps, at some point it won't help anymore and you need to be surrounded by the situation where you're not looking at any sad things and you're only, if you're pregnant, you're only looking at the hopeful stories. Yeah. Yeah. Because I imagine it can be an awkward place when someone gets pregnant again and then you're going, wait, but this could be triggering to my entire, like to my support system. Mm And you're probably anxious enough as it is that you probably don't have the capacity to take on what that means to them. I imagine that can be quite complex. Yeah, and I think also it's been a bit tricky for some of my friends who have fallen pregnant after I lost Ollie and not knowing how to tell me or handle it. And it's similar to what you did, so if like just asking and saying what do you want or how can I support you in this scenario, what's the best thing? And, like, for me... Her sending me a text message saying, I'm pregnant. I know this might be triggering. You don't have to reply, but I wanted you to know because you're important to me. That then gave me the space to feel what I needed to feel and then reply in a manner that I wanted to reply in, which was, I feel immense joy for you and I'm so happy for you, but I need a minute to make sure that I say the right things because all I want to do is support you. And so I think, however awkward someone is feeling towards you you also feel awkward back trying to make sure that you're trying to say the right thing and help them process and so it's everyone's Mm. awkward and that's why we need to talk about you know loss and grief so much more because unfortunately it happens you know there's there's loss and grief in everyone's lives at some point and yeah like we need we should be able to navigate this better yeah and I think for men like Tom went to one single counselor session with my same grief counselor which really helped us work out how to communicate because we were grieving very differently which is also really hard to within a couple to know that and accept that you're not going to grieve the same way but then he also went through red nose and had like a an, a call with another dad that had been through something similar years ago and like got advice from someone in a similar situation. So I think 
you need to work out what's best for you, but also be kind of have a bit of grace for how people are going to respond and accept that it's not always going to be the same way as you. Like Tom and I do not grieve the same way because unfortunately he's probably better at grief because he lost his dad when he was 19. So he kind of knows the processes and the, and obviously it's, it's not the same, but his way of grieving was just so I was a wailing disaster. Like you just couldn't move me from my bed. Like you, you know, I just couldn't function for like two weeks. Whereas he was wanting to go to the gym and do things. And I'd be like, how can you just move on? How can you just be doing all Mm. these things? And then seeing the same counselor for one session was like, you realize this is him grieving and being able to process and like let some feelings out because it doesn't mean he doesn't care. He wants to be at home and support you and be available for you. So where does he do his grieving? Mm -hmm. And so I think having space and grace for people, whether you've been through this and then someone else goes through it, that's your friend. They may not handle it the same way. I think that's generally where I'm trying to go with it. Just Everyone's going to have their different ways of handling it, but I would just hope that everyone will be willing to talk about it at some point so that it's not so awkward. Oh, well, (laughs) thank you so much for joining us today, Isabel, to tell your story. You are truly an exceptional woman and I think this chat will help countless women, whether they've been through something similar, the same quite different it's you know it's got overlap into so many Mm. other areas of parenthood womanhood life so thank you so so much for being so brave and open and honest thank you for having the space for me to be able to talk about something that's possibly not so easy and uncomfortable but hopefully gives other people a little bit of guidance help feeling less alone anything you know I just hope that that's what Ollie can bring to the world Well, it's our absolute pleasure to have you guys on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.